Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. We're going to talk about some really interesting topics today. Aplastic anemia, myelodysplastic syndrome, and paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. What a mouthful. Alright, so let's kick off the topic by talking about aplastic anemia. So, Andy, I know you've got congenital, and I know you've got acquired types. Can you mention yeah. some examples? Okay, so with aplastic anemia, actually, should we talk about what aplastic anemia is? That's probably a good idea. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's define this before we jump into the heavy stuff. Sounds good. Okay, so aplastic anemia is defined as a pancytopenia record, uh, resulting from aplasia of the bone marrow. And okay, now I'm going to start speaking English. Um, so with pancytopenia... It just that means... was a dictionary definition, by the way. Yes. Okay, so pancytopenia is a... Um, Overall reduction in all your red blood cells, white blood cells, as well as your um, platelets. And this is from a non-productive... So the bone marrow isn't producing these blood cells. Yeah. And so that's aplastic anemia. Uh, so the congen- there are congenital as well as acquired reasons as to why your bone marrow isn't producing yeah. these cells. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. This is, finally, it's in English now. Okay, so... Something makes sense. Okay, so I'll go through congenital and you'll tackle the acquired. Sounds good. Okay, split the load. Okay, so congenital-wise, you've got these things. Uh, you can It can be from an inherited condition called Fanconi's anemia, which we'll go through, or um, Schwannmann-Diamond syndrome. Yeah. And what kind of reasons would someone who doesn't have aplastic anemia suddenly acquire it? In terms of um, some of these... What could cause an acquired form? Well, unfortunately, the majority of the causes, about two-thirds, is idiopathic. Um, we can talk about why, you know, there are some theories about what's going on. There's yeah. some drug-related ones, and some of the drug-related ones make a lot of sense. So if you give someone chemotherapy, you're going to knock out all their bone marrow, right? I think but, sometimes it's, t- it's intended to. Knock exactly, exactly, yeah. When yeah. we talk about AML, we'll talk about why it's intended. And so mm-hmm. as a consequence, you're not going to have those stem cells that are important for production of, you know, the progenitors and precursor cells yeah you can also have toxins like benzene benzene is notorious it's a class a carcinogen um, oh. and so that can you know cause cancer Jeez. particularly aml okay but also damage your stem cells uh, you can have radiation so patients who receive radiotherapy are at an increased risk of developing this interestingly viral infection so hiv is a common one that's mentioned mm-hmm. um, and also non-hep a b and c so your hepatitis e and d and e I think I mentioned E already. Yes, you did. Um, are the ones that can sometimes do this. Yes. Um, but yeah, so viral infections can do it. And autoimmune dis- uh, disorders such as lupus or um, graft-versus-host disease, which I'm sure we'll mention at a later date, can do it as well. So there's a couple of reasons why you can get acquired, but there's very few congenital causes. Do you want to talk about Fanconi's? Because I think that's the most common type. I'm not too well-versed in Fanconi, so please help me out when, yeah, sure. when, I'm, when I'm struggling. Okay, so Fanconi's is a inherited cause of aplastic anemia. It is has a autosomal recessive pattern of inheritance and uh, is generally heterogeneous with 16 different genes that are involved. Mm. Um, so I think 13 different... What did I say? 16, uh, 16 Oh, yeah. sorry, 13. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so cells from the patients with the Fanconi's anemia can show a abnormally high frequency of spontaneous chromosomal breakage. So yeah. the chromosomes just aren't lasting and they just, they break. And so I believe like in, in the bone marrow where, where the cells are dividing and it's, it's crucial that the, the gene has, or the DNA has to be quite stable. So mm. if you have these sort of chromosomal breakages, then highly 
replicating cells are going to be the ones that yeah. suffer probably the most. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's a particular yes. type, the type A Fanconi. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Because that's the yeah. most common subtype of the, those yeah. heterogeneous groups. So type A Fanconi's anemia involves a mutation in FANCA, F-A-N-C-A. And the FANCA proteins are involved in DNA, so interstrand DNA cross-link repairing. So essentially, I'm just thinking of it as maintaining the chromosomal stability. And so if you don't have that, the chromosomes aren't as stable, then rapid DNA replication or cell division isn't going to really mm. happen. And so you're going to suffer in terms of, uh, in, in many areas, but also I think uh, and specifically in our case right now in bone marrow and yeah. hematopoiesis. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So then we have the acquired cases, right? Okay. Um, so we mentioned some of the common more, you know, drugs, radiation. toxins, radiation, viruses. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about idiopathic. Idiopathic is really interesting because, you know, it accounts for majority, two-thirds of the cases, as I mentioned. Okay. Um, but what's interesting is the fact that there are some hints as, as, what, as to what is going on. And essentially, it's, it's like one day the you know, cytotoxic T-cell in the bone marrow wakes up and is like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing here? This is, you know, this is my, my bone marrow and it stops recognizing self. Yeah as self and it recognizes everyone as foreign it's like it's gone crazy and the cytotoxic t-cell then brings about all this destruction in the, and, and causes all this mayhem in the bone marrow and that's why you know the pathogenesis of aplastic anemia is related to a decreased number of hematopoietic pluripotential stem cells so it's it, it's a quantitative decrease in the number of cells Jeez. And all their progenitors. So, so, um, the, so the T cell goes and kills off. It just goes berserk and kills everything um, in the bone marrow, which is really bad. So, in terms of clinical features, if we have, if we think about it more broadly, you know, mm-hmm. we mentioned that you can have pancytopenia. Yeah. So that's reduction in everything. You can have low anemia. Sorry, you can have anemia. You can have thrombocytopenia and neutropenia because if you destroy the stem cells, nothing further down the track works either. Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, investigations, if, you're, if you've got a hunch of what's going on, mm-hmm. how would you approach it? We'll do a complete blood count to, to check what is wrong. Yeah. And um, so what you will see is you will see anemia or neutropenia or thrombocytopenia. So that's, that's what you would expect. If you actually see only one of them down, mm. then you probably think mm, maybe this isn't actually yeah. plastic anemia. But other causes of the pancytopenia... Uh, reasons so some differentials to keep in mind would be like acute leukemia tuberculosis yeah. uh, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria we'll, we'll mention we'll, we'll go through that yeah, later exactly. on so yeah the whole point is to rule out other obvious causes or maybe not so obvious causes like tb and you know leukemias which we'll talk about later but because mm. those guys can also cause similar sort of presentations all right so what um, would you expect if we look on a blood film in terms of blood films, um, you probably just expect a decreased number of cells in general. So red blood cells and white blood cells, okay. for example. And if and we do a bone marrow biopsy. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably need to do a bone marrow biopsy. And like we mentioned, those crazy cytotoxic T cells destroy everything. So you expect aplasia or hyperplasia, which just means that the bone marrow looks much more empty than what it should be. Okay. And there's probably fatty replacement to fill the space. Interesting. Which is, yeah, really interesting. Uh, that's pretty much it in terms of some of the investigation, that, investigations that you think about. Um, and I guess, you know, looking at those investigations, the lab findings, obviously you notice anemia. They could be normal acidic 
or macrocytic. If, for example, some of those premature cells start leaking out, they're going to be a little bit larger than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you might expect, like you mentioned, leukopenia, so decrease in you know granulocyte forming cells because it just destroys everything. Mm-hmm. If it's really bad, your lymphocytes could be affected as well. So it even starts destroying its own cell types, which is pretty insane. Jeez. We mentioned that low platelets would be a you know, potential feature of it. Okay. But there are no abnormal blasts. That's a really important point. So we'll talk about why this is important in the blood cells. Uh, Sorry, in circulation. Because if you start getting blast, something else is going on. And that something else is a discussion for another day. Yes. But essentially, it suggests there's leukemia. Okay, so everything looks normal, but just in lesser quantities. Yes, exactly. Do you want to maybe talk about some of the treatment options that these patients have? So let's say if if it's of an acquired cause, or if you can do something about what's triggering this, then obviously try and remove the exacerbating factors first. Uh, let's say if it's let's say if it's genetics that's the cause or or um, you can't really get rid of the cause then unfortunately we'll just have to try and manage it as well. But we, if it's let's say like mm. some sort of drug, oh, then you can stop it. stop the drug. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm. Exactly. So we would provide supportive care. So let's say with blood transfusions, platelet concentrations, and um, treatments to prevent infection. So basically, just supplement the body with red blood cells. Um, help help the body with what white blood cells do mm-hmm. and give them platelets as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Um, what else could you do? Well, you can give immunosuppressive therapy as well, but it's very interesting the way you approach this. Okay. Is, is you actually give, because we mentioned crazy cytotoxic cells are going insane, so we need to keep them under control. You can actually give anti-lymphocyte or anti-thymocyte globulins. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are antibodies against our body's T cells and against our body's B cells. And if you wipe them out, then hopefully you reduce the population of mm-hmm. autoreactive um, immune cells. So that's okay. one option. And that's got a pretty good response rate. About 50 to 60% of patients respond. And overall, you can get up to 80% response rate in patients. You can also give cyclosporum, which reduces that t-cell population as we mentioned but also you can also give alentuzumab which does the same thing as well mm-hmm. do you think um there's there's you know mentions of things like androgens and stuff what role do they have i believe that if you give androgens they if they if the patient develops a response they would increase in hemoglobin levels along with neutrophils and platelets so i guess it it increases the cell proliferation um, yeah, the exact mechanism I'm not too familiar with. I'm not, I think it's you know like testosterone is a growth factor for so many oh, things, and so maybe it's has okay. some sort of role. But, but I don't think it improves survival, though, does it? No, I, I guess it it is just a symptomatic. Yeah, um, it, it helps with the symptoms, but unfortunately, studies haven't demonstrated any improvement in survival outcomes. Um, and also, let's say if you trial it, and and if the patient hasn't seen any response within four to six months, maybe it's time to give up that. Yeah, it can be pretty toxic. You know, it can cause um, liver damage and things like that. I'm sure it would. What about stem cells? Do they, or or like transplants, do they play a role? I'm pretty sure they would Mm. because we've got something wrong with the, uh, let's say if it is something wrong with the bone marrow, then if you fix the bone marrow with the the stem cell problem, then you might actually have a good, um, good shot at a permanent cure yeah exactly the only downside with let's say transplant especially when it's allergenic is that you might have glass versus host disease which also unfortunately causes so there's aplastic of... anemia oh, but if you manage it properly you can actually um hopefully yeah. avoid that from occurring and it can be really toxic to actually bring about induction of the whole process so mm. the mortality rate's high so i guess it is from my understanding was that not everybody's suited to get a no. uh, a transplant but the there are 
great rewards to it, you know, permanent cure, but there's mm. also huge risks yeah. associated with it. Exactly. Yeah. seems to be the case with transplants in general. It's really risky. Yeah. And it becomes clear when we talk about, I guess, blood cancers. Okay. So that's um, aplastic anemia. It's, you know, complete loss of your pluripotent stem cells because of crazy, normally, or mo- most of the cases, crazy behaving cytotoxic T cells. Yeah. Now we come to the topic of myelodysplastic syndrome and what a topic this is. This is a really like full on interesting, but very weird sort of topic. Oh, man. Do you want to maybe define yeah. it? So myelodysplastic syndrome is M or other known uh, abbreviation is MDS is due to it's a group of malignant stem cell disorders so it's there's a lot of subclassifications which we won't go through we're just going to skim through the top of it talk about generally what it is so it's a group of malignant stem cell disorders and it causes a dysplasia so it's, it's just just bad replications of the cell and essentially ineffective blood cell production. Mm. I don't think I actually def- so display dysplastic. I don't think I defined that correctly. Just like non functioning, I guess. Mm. Um, so compared to the normal counterparts, but like you mentioned, mm. it's um, malignant. It's a key word here, and we'll mention why they're potentially malignant. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's a stem cell disorder. It's not like because you've completely lost your stem cells. Mm-hmm. The stem cells are you know, somewhat functioning, but the problem is yeah. they're not functioning properly. Okay. And so what happens is that you're going to get rapid proliferation of your stem cells within yep. the bone marrow. But the cells are dysfunctional, so they die rapidly as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going to get lots of these, you know, abnormal cells into the blood because that's cancer. You're going to have it's confined to the bone marrow. The only problem is the reason we it's called malignant in, in, in this sort of classification is that it can transform in about less equal to less than thirty percent of patients into AML, so acute uh, myeloleukemia. We'll mention we'll talk about this in a later topic, but that's why it's really it's really bad. Yeah. Um, so, what are some of the causes? I mean, how can these cells go abnormal, function abnormally? So, something genetically must be going on to these cells. Exactly, and I think there is a damage to the pluripotent um, progenitor cells of the hem- hem- uh, hematopoietic uh, chain. Yeah. So, we're talking about something quite high up in that general hemat- hematopoiesis picture. Yeah. And if there's something wrong there, then all the cells that come underneath it are going to get affected. Yeah, exactly. So you can get acquired mutations through these divisions. You can have unstable genomes, um, that which we mentioned before in aplastic syndrome, or you can have epigenetic factors, so increased methylation. Hopefully we'll, we'll cover genetic topics in the future, but increased methylation can bring about silencing of certain genes, and that can then lead to abnormal function of those genes or the protein products of that mm-hmm. so that's pretty much it i guess it's not very we're speaking really generically here because there's you know so many different subtypes of this condition but mm-hmm. essentially it's to do with rapid proliferation and rapid loss of cells in, in the bone marrow okay. so let's talk about some of the clinical features is it a disease of the elderly or is it a disease of the young where do you see this it's sort of a disease of the elderly actually one thing just going back a, a bit with the pathophysiology we didn't um you mentioned it's a rapid proliferation as well as a rapid um or a di- uh, dying of the cells. But yeah. I think one very important thing to focus on is the intramedullary apoptosis. Yes. So yeah. they die in the, the, the bone marrow, yeah. not, not outside. Exactly, because if it was you know leaking into the outside, that's a bad sign. Something else could be going on. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, sorry, back, back again. So Great. clinical features, uh, it's in the elderly population. Over 50% of the patients are over 70 years of old. Uh, years of age and I, I guess it is it might just be due to like as you age you just accumulate these mm. uh, DNA damages and eventually one day it's just going to present as MDS yeah okay yeah um, exactly 
Yeah, so as we mentioned, the evolution of the, the way the disease shows itself, it's quite slow um, and it's often found by chance. You know, you order a full blood count and you say, hey, your blood's not looking normal. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then you investigate it and you find out, you know, this person's got myelodysplastic syndrome. Okay. Some patients can present with infection because remember, if you're losing all your granulocytes and they're not being you know, leaked into the, or they're not going into circulation, then you're at an increased risk of infection. If you're not producing enough um, platelets, then you're at an increased risk of bleeding. Okay. Um, so what would be some of the laboratory findings, findings that, you know, I guess stem from this? Yep. So you would expect a pancytopenic picture. Okay. And when you look at it with the red blood cells, you would usually expect either macrocytic uh, or a dimorphic population. So macrocytic is a large red blood cell. Maybe it's from a rapid proliferation uh, or just, just releasing of the premature red blood cells, mm. or it could be dimorphic. So you look at the picture and you've got normal looking red blood cells or you, and it mixed in with a colony of abnormal looking red yeah. blood cells. Yeah. Um, but usually they are hypochromic. Um, on the other hand, you could look at the granulocytes and they, uh, they would be reduced in numbers and frequency and they could show a lack of granulation, which is another sign for them not being fully matured. Mm. With platelets as well, you would also expect them to either be a de- a decreased in numbers or they could be small or large. Yeah, I mean that like the the fact that you can have something that is small or large says that there's lots of heterogeneity mm. and probably the underlying causes are different. Yeah. So you know your um, let's say if you do a bone marrow biopsy now, what do you tend to see? Uh, you would see, I guess, an increased cellularity. Yeah, because there's big proliferation going on, but the cells are unfortunately dying. Um, you could also expect to see some erythroblasts as well, which makes sense. And what's interesting is that these guys can have ring sidroblasts, so iron deposition around the nucleus, suggesting mitochondria. that yeah, uh, in, uh, the mitochondria, in the mitochondria as well, the and, the, and the nucleus as well, suggesting yeah. that some of the genetic causes could be affecting mitochondria, and so these cells are then not developing properly. Um, some of the granulite precursors, we might see decreased um, granulation, which suggests you know something in the development is going wrong there. The megakaryocytes can be either micronuclear, so they can be really large, and that probably reflects large platelet counts, or they could be small and binuclear, which probably reflects the small platelet size that we mentioned before. So there's some linkage going on here. There's some associations. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also see some cytogenic abnormalities. So looking at the genetics of these cells, there might be some uh, abnormalities. Could be due to, you know, partial or total loss of, let's say, chromosome 5, 7, or um, trisomy of 8. But, you know, that's a really confusing and complicated topic. So in terms of treatments, Andy, are there any treatments that we can offer patients? Well, I think a supportive treatment um, would be indicated. So if they're low on red blood cells, give them red blood cells, yep. transfuse them platelets, as well as try to prevent infections whilst treating the neutropenic um, picture. Yeah, so kind of like um, aplastic anemia in terms of that supportive side of it. Mm. What about actual drug treatments? Are there anything that we can offer? I might need you to take this one. Sure, no, that's yeah. fine. We'll, and we'll talk about it. So you have to divide patients into low risk yeah. of transformation. And there's a couple of guidelines that tell you what are some of the risk factors for transforming into acute leukemia yeah. versus patients that are at high risk. Okay. So let's talk about low risk first. Okay. So you can give EPO, although I don't think in Australia EPO is approved for myelodysplastic syndrome because okay. it's such an expensive drug. So EPO helps the proliferation of red blood cells. And maturation of red blood cells, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, for patients with certain cytogenetic abnormalities, so... Uh, abnormalities affecting certain chromosomes, you can use lenalidomide, which is a derivative of thalidomide. Mm-hmm. And thalidomide has a notorious history in terms of you know t- 
teratogenic activity in pregnancy, yeah. but it you know can play a role in in this condition, yeah. and that just brings about the population size of those certain cells with those abnormal chromosomes, okay. um, and it inc- decreases transfusion requirements of patients treated with this agent. With patients with high risk, so those that can you know are highly likely to transform into acute leukemia. Supportive care, like you mentioned, but also stem cell transplantation if they're aged less than 65. Age is really important because the older you are, the less you are able to tolerate the you know in intensive nature of the treatment. Yep. Um, and that can help improve cure rates and potentially offer complete cures. There's some newer treatments as well, epigenetic therapies. So we mentioned epigenetic causes, you know, maybe a problem. And actually, 5-um as a cystidine is a new, very new agent. So it's a DNA methyltransferase inhibitor. So it inhibits the methylation, which mm-hmm. would be silencing some genes. Interesting. And that can be tried for certain chromosomal abnormalities as well. Okay. So the key point is low risk, treated differently to high risk. High risk, essentially stem cells is what you need for cu- uh, curing. Yeah. And epigenetic therapies as well. Sure. But that's it. That's for that's myeloid dysplastic syndrome. So there's a problem with overproliferation and too much loss of those uh, abnormal cells. Okay. There's one tiny topic that we should talk to make this much more complete. Do you want to go through it? Okay. So it's I believe you're referring to paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. Yes. Or abbreviated as PNH. Essentially breaking down the name, so it essentially is the overnight on the next day in the morning you'll notice some urine in uh, sorry in um some blood in your urine. Yes. And so we'll go through why exactly. Yeah. That great. Happens. Yeah. So what exactly causes PNH? Do you want to go through? Um. So it's a clonal disorder of the marrow stem cells. So essentially, it there is a a, a disorder of the stem cells which create the blood cells to be deficient in this uh, a protein called GPI. Oh, don't even attempt to pronounce that name. It is a yeah. crazy... Look it up, you guys. If you guys can pronounce it, seriously, good on you. We, we, we've tried for... Maybe record it and post it on the website just to shove it in our faces. Yeah, well, because we, we gave up. We just can't pronounce it. Okay, so GPI. GPI, what it does is that it is an anchor. It serves as an anchor protein. And what it does is that... It allows the attachment of other things called DAF and MERL. What is that? What do they stand for? Okay, so DAF is the decay accelerating factor, and MERL stands for membrane inhibitor of reactive uh, lysis. That's the one. Okay. So there's, there's some other names as well. They've got some CD numbers yes. as well. So there's CD55 and CD59. And that's that's one of the things that you can look for. Uh, but okay, back to the picture. With So if you are deficient in GPI, that means that you don't have CD55 or CD59 attached onto the cell because they need the GPI to actually link onto the cell membrane. And what the point of having DAF and MERL or CD55 and 59 is to protect the cell from complement-mediated damage. Mm, yeah. So the moment that you don't have cells that have GPI on it, that means this, those cells aren't protected from complement damage. And complement damage occurs spontaneously in the cells uh, everywhere. Unfortunately, that means you know your cell's going to die. Yeah, so your red blood cells will be affected, and so you get hemolysis. And I guess the situations may... Actually, not just red blood cells, because it can cause this pancytopenic picture. I'm thinking now that if it's involving the stem cells, that means that, that it could affect platelets as well, as well as red yeah. blood cells and also... Um, yeah, possibly. I think um, 
the, the disease is mainly referring to red blood cells but okay. yeah i mean if it's affecting stem cells it's probably going to affect a whole yeah. heap of cells mm. so yeah so the hemolysis if we're talking about red blood cells is yes. worsened by acidosis and patients can be acidotic at night time because you know your respiratory rate falls yeah uh, and so your uh, blood co2 increases and then more acid is produced as a consequence yes that's one of the potential reasons why patients get uh, hematuria at night time but there's you've got that another reason for why they well, could possibly somebody get it. told me that instead of oh well, they they told me that the overnight thing because of the respiratory acidosis is probably is the previous hypothesis but some other people are now suspecting that it's just because overnight you don't go to the bathroom and so you've got a concentration of your urine and then the next morning no surprise that your urine appears more darker than yeah. usual yeah okay yeah. so there from their theory is that that's a spontaneous process that occurs over time irrespective or maybe possibly due to related to acidosis but it's going to happen either way yeah so maybe there's a relationship between both yeah. sort of theories okay so what would be some lab laboratory findings okay so lab findings wise you would see hemolytic anemia. So let's say that you would ex you would see all those usual signs like a raised LDH, decreased haptoglobin levels. Yeah. This could lead to iron deficiency, yep. especially with an anemic picture. Okay, and you can do this thing called a HAMS test. What is that? So a HAMS test is when you expose the red blood cells in a mildly acidic environment. And like we mentioned, uh, an acidic environment can trigger hemolysis. So you start noticing the hemolysis, which makes me follow that initial theory of you know acidosis being one yes. of the risk factors for it mm. particularly based on the hams test yeah you might also get um hemocid uh, deposition in your urine as well because the hemoglobin that is lost due to hemolysis can go into the kidneys mm -hmm. and then the kidneys can release some of the um hemo uh, hemoglobin which then forms hemocidrin and that can be seen in the in the urine um, once you do a urine um, sample test mm. That's pretty much some of the laboratory uh, findings that you might expect. In terms of, I guess, complications, um, maybe a risk factor associated with aplastic anemia. So these guys are at increased risk. Mm -hmm. um, it can, in some patients, be prothrombotic, mm -hmm. and it's associated with thrombus formation in the um, in the portal vein, which is really interesting. That's a very okay. characteristic characteristic feature of it. Sure. But the good news is, unlike let's say myelodysplastic syndrome, it doesn't transform or there's less propensity for it to transform into AML. Okay. So that's it. That's some pretty hard-hitting topics. So we talked about aplastic anemia, we talked about myelodysplastic syndrome, and we talked about proxismal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. That's it for today, I think. Yeah, hopefully that gives you a, a kind of an overview to it and then help you interpret the literature when you actually start digging into it and learning a bit more about it. Beautiful. And as always, if you have any suggestions or feedback, let us know. Um, so we're going to start tackling the topic of leukemias and hopefully lymphomas. So wish we're us. super excited, but we're also terrified because it's a... Wish us luck. Yeah, it's a pretty scary, <laughs> uh, difficult topic. But oh, stay tuned. We'll make it as simple as possible. Thank you for joining us. listening to our Common Rounds podcast. You can find all of our episodes, notes, selective experiences, and much more content on our website. So come visit us at thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. And see you next time.